How many guys love to hear, uh, be obedient to your leaders? Especially as Westerners, we love that. And then, then as libertarians, as I know we have a few in the congregation, um, they love to hear obey. And um, I'm not sure what I am yet in all of that stuff, but I know that I don't be, like to be told what to do. <laughs> My mom's here today, and she can confirm <laughs> all of that. So, um, you know, don't be like the horse that needs bit and bridle, uh, but the days leading to my salvation. It was all about bit and bridle. And, uh, and then it was a, a path, a road of submission and, uh, uh, to the Lord and then learning how to, to submit to spiritual leaders. And um, so anyway, I get it. And um, so, yeah. So our primary passage this morning, verse 17, has to do with the role of the laity, the role of the leadership, and the relationship between them inside the local church. So what we need to do uh, is look at the text from its immediate context. Uh, That is, we want to look at why exactly did the author say this here? Okay, so we want to do that. And then we'll look at uh, all of those things from the New Testament as a whole. But I'm not going to bore you with an exhaustive study of uh, what we call ecclesiology, the study of the church Uh, its organization, its ordinances, things like that, Uh, all very interesting to me. Uh, And maybe we'll uh, do something like that later. But my goal is to try to stick to the text uh, this morning as much as I can. Uh, Now, before we get into that, um, let's begin by defining some terms. Uh, Over time, uh, older terms uh, get left behind and then Uh, We come up with new terms, and I'm not even sure I know what the new term is uh, for some of these. But the first one is laity. And uh, by laity, the scriptures have in mind those that do not hold an office in the church. Those that don't hold an office in the church. It's not that they do nothing in the church. I want to make that abundantly clear. Uh, Not that uh, people of Calvary Chapel need that to be told to them too often, uh, because I don't think that's so much the case here. But a person who does nothing in the church should not exist. Does that sound harsh? There's, there's no do-nothing position in the church. Okay, it's just, it's not. Everyone is called to contribute in some way. When we look at, uh, you know, the, the, the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, there's no gift called consumer. There's no, you know, pew warmer. There's, there's no gift of, I just sit and and suck the life out of everybody else. Uh, it's just not, it's not in the text. Okay? Every believer is a member of the body. And just as every member of your body has a function, the me- every member of the body of Christ has a function for the blessing, uh, for the edification of other people. So, but while everyone has a function in the church, not everyone has an office in the church. Okay? Not everyone has an office. And... Um, those who do not fill an office are called the laity. Then leadership, uh, by leadership, especially in this particular context, uh, the scriptures would point to pastors and elders, uh, those who have offices in the local church as prescribed in the scriptures. Now, there are other offices, we might say, of the church rather than in the church, uh, of the church 
globally rather than in the church locally. Uh, Ephesians 4 lists those, uh, verse 11. Two of them are obsolete. Okay, the, the office, uh, perhaps not the gifting. Uh, I always get in trouble when I talk about this, but, but I love troubles. <laughs> uh, two are obsolete. That is the apostles and the prophets okay, who laid the foundation of the church and then passed along the scriptures to us. The other one is evangelist, uh, not obsolete. Um, but from the context of the New Testament, it, it appears that these particular offices were not uh, to the local church itself, except on more of what we might say a temporary basis. Okay? They were there for the foundation of the church, for planting the church. And then as we see Paul and uh, the other apostles, they quickly were handing over autonomy to the church under the leadership of elders. They would go to city to city, church to church, and they would appoint elders in those cities. And then uh, pastors would come among them. So anyway, uh, fun stuff. Ephesians, uh, just for a point of reference here, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, uh, Paul says that the apostles and prophets, they established uh, the church as a whole. And uh, they are the ones that gave us Christ. Amen? They're the ones that gave us his ethic and his word. They got it going. Um, but their task, once it was finished, uh, their, their, their role, their office was made obsolete by their death. Okay, most, uh, I would say all evangelicals believe that when John the Apostle died, the office of apostle died with him. Okay? Now, people say, well, what about a missionary? Aren't they an apostle? Because the word means one who is sent. Well, I'm fine with us saying that Aaron is the apostle to the Mombasans, okay? And that, uh, uh, you know, another missionary would be the apostle to so-and-so, but little a, not, not big A. Because if they have a big A, as it were, they can write scripture, and then they can impose that on the church, and you guys, Scripture's done. Okay, the canon, as we call it, has been sealed. What we have in uh, the Old and the New Testament is all of the inspired Word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. So I don't, you know, anybody that thinks they're an apostle with a big A is a troublemaker. They're dangerous. And uh, throughout history, when anybody has called themselves an apostle, uh, they've always caused damage and trouble to the church. Uh, but if we want to say that Aaron's the apostle to Kenya, fine. Okay, he's been sent out. Uh, that's okay. But he doesn't have the authority of, say, Paul, Peter, John, and the rest. You guys understand? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I'll just mention the evangelists uh, briefly. They're more of a mystery. Uh, Philip is the only person in the Bible that is called an evangelist. And the word, the, the same root word, is only used three times in the whole Bible. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting. Uh, Philip, he traveled around preaching the gospel. Uh, according to Ephesians 4, the evangelist has a role, but it's, it's hard to tell if his role as an evangelist is tied to a local church or if it's something more to the churches. Okay? It's, it's interesting. And uh, I, I'm not completely settled on their relationship uh, to the church locally. Is that okay if I'm not settled? <laughs> Certainly not a Southern Baptist church in the South. 
it's not responsive, interactive. So, yeah. But what I do understand is the office, the role of pastors and elders who are assigned specifically, directly to the local church. And that's who the author of Hebrews is talking about here in verse 17. Uh, so that's, that's leadership and laity in a nutshell. Let's get into the text. Uh, well, first off, uh, whoever the author is, and the, the debate rages among uh, people, um, whoever he is, it, it, it appears to me that he has more authority than the leadership of this church that he's writing to, which leads me to believe that he is an apostle. Okay? Uh, there are people that disagree with me on that. Um, that's fine. Um, I don't really care. But uh, because of how his authority is displayed throughout the book, I don't know how we could get away from him being an apostle. Okay? Nobody else in the New Testament exerts the kind of authority that he does, and they're not an apostle. So uh, I personally think I said as the introduction, I think it's Paul. Uh, I know there's objections to that. So, And I, I would say we would find out someday, but on that day nobody would really care. Amen. So, so be that as it may, he's speaking directly to the laity about their responsibility to the leadership of their church, and with it, he reveals then some of the role of the leadership okay, as well. To the laity, he commands them to obey and submit to their local leaders, and then he says, in a way that brings joy to the leaders and does not cause them grief. Are you guys listening? Mostly to that last one. <laughs> so apparently what's happening here, some in the, this particular fellowship were not submitting to the leadership in the church, but were a cause of grief to them. The cause of grief to them. And that's why the author is addressing this whole thing. Uh, the context explains all of this to us. Uh, you remember back in verse 7, we talked about this last week, the author told this fellowship of believers that I want, you to, I want you to remember those past leaders who taught the word of God to you, okay? What they taught, how they lived. He says, I want you to recall that. I want you to recall that. Uh, he's probably referring to uh, a founder of the church or a couple of them, perhaps uh, the apostles and then the pastors who then assumed that role uh, to teach the fundamentals of the faith. And then, as, you, uh, as they were remembering what was taught to them, he told them in verse 9 to stop being carried about by various and strange doctrines. Strange, as we talked about, meaning something new. He said, he's saying, stop participating in what is new and go back to what you learned in the beginning from those faithful men who taught you. Okay. Uh, we talked about this. The new doctrine was teaching that God's grace was somehow conveyed to the worshiper by eating ritual or sacrificial foods. Okay, that God's grace would somehow be conveyed by eating. Okay, and I said that if that was true, uh, I wouldn't look like this. Okay, uh, I would just eat and eat and eat. That's all I would do if I could just get more grace. And uh, but he's saying that this isn't true. That. that uh, it's, it's, that's not how it happens. This, this is contrary to the faith that was passed down to you from the faithful men that have passed on. 
But now in verse 17, the author is telling them to obey and submit to the leaders they currently have. See, what was probably happened, the, the current leaders of the church had been teaching against this doctrine that God's grace is somehow conveyed through eating. But some among the laity disregarded their instruction and they did as they pleased. They just kept eating and eating, as we would have if that doctrine was true. Okay? We would eat. So the author was compelled to address these people by adding his authority to the authority of the current leadership in hopes of bringing these people back to the truth. Okay? The author was telling them, look, what you're believing and what you're participating in, it's contrary to what you were taught in the beginning. And currently you're disobeying the instruction of your leaders who are trying to lead you in truth. They're trying to keep your attention on Christ and his word and get you away from this dangerous doctrine. And so the leaders were not trying to keep them from something good. If it was true, why not join them? These leaders were trying to keep them away from something that was dangerous, that was detrimental to their souls. The author says that these particular leaders were watching out for their souls. They were trying to keep them safe. They were trying to keep them tethered to the faith that was passed down, even as their rebellion continued to cause them grief. Yeah, it's troubling. It wasn't about getting people under their control, but helping people get their lives in conformity to God's word. And I understand. Um, I've talked with many of you. You've experienced some bad uh, church leadership. Um, I, I'm assuming that most of you have stayed here because you at least think the leadership here is okay. Um, but I know of bad leadership. I know of uh, pastors that are, they love to rule over the sheep. They love, to, they love tyranny. And, uh, and they can't handle anybody uh, questioning them uh, uh, or, or doing something contrary to the teaching. And then it becomes this big mess. How many of you guys have experienced bad leadership in church? And you're referring to another church, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's not completely unheard of. It happens. Uh, they're still men. And uh, it could be a mess. Yeah. But the leaders here, the author is saying, these are, are good men. They're being ignored. And uh, they're being grieved. They're being robbed of their joy. Uh, they're watching the people they care about be ravaged by wolves. And that robs you of your joy. So it's crazy. And I could only wish that all of the problems uh, in the church were isolated to the first century. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be nice, but that that would call for the elimination of all sinful people. And then there would be no church. There would be no laity. There would be no leadership. Um, yeah. But the fact is, you know, even though the apostles couldn't pass down to us the ideal church, and they had no ideal church, if you've read the New Testament, they all had their problems. Uh, they did pass to us the perfect word of God that would continually bring us back and, and, and bring us in line and um, through this, just the muck and the mire of difficulty and sin. Um, I think it's always helpful to give examples. Um, a few years ago, uh, a man in our church was on some kind of spiritual crusade. He was calling himself a watchman. Always concerns me when people give themselves a title. Uh, but he was calling himself a watchman who was hoping to uh, purge the church of some uh, particular theology he didn't even understand himself 
and then he was accusing various uh, uh, Christian leaders, no one in this church, he assured me, of being involved with this particular heresy. Um, when I use the word heresy, I just mean false teaching. And then, so there, of course, a heretic is a false teacher. Okay? And uh, in the process of all this, he'd become very uh, contrary and critical towards the leadership uh, of this church. Uh, he was critical of anything that we did. Uh, he even created a bit of a following. And, and then those who were following him as I was trying to engage with them and, and uh, reel them back in, I discovered that they were even more ignorant about all of this stuff than he was. And so this whole uh, thing that they were doing was, was founded on ignorance. Uh, they could not be reasoned with. But anyway, early on, before it became a serious problem, I went to him and I told him that, that he was becoming a grief to the leadership. He was making it difficult for us to lead with joy, and that he was also becoming an annoyance to the people of the church. People were continually coming to me and saying, hey, what's going on? This person came to me and they're saying this and they're saying that. And, and what he was doing is he was, he was quietly going to various people in the church without me knowing, which is always suspect. Okay? Uh, if someone comes to you and they're spreading stuff like that, say, have you talked to the elders about this? Seems like something they should know. Uh, but if they say, well, well no, no. Well, then say, well, don't talk to me about it. Okay? Talk to me about it. And he's warning people about this theology and these supposed leaders who were into it. And, and when no one cared to listen, except for those in his little group, uh, he became critical of the whole church because apparently we weren't as discerning as he thought himself to be. And that's what happens through all this self-righteousness. And then in that conversation, when I spoke to him initially, he apologized and, uh, and said that you know, being a bother was not his intention. But it was just a couple weeks later where I discovered that the other people in the group, along with himself, they're still spreading this stuff quietly in the congregation. And, uh, and when I confronted another member of the group, he just lied to me and lied to me over and over and over again. Uh, it's a long story, but just trying to recover them. And then I tried once again to speak with the original man who was influencing the others, but by this time, he wouldn't speak to me, and uh, he had decided to leave the church, something Pastor Chuck Smith used to call blessed subtraction. Okay. When he left, my grief went with him, and my joy was restored. He had, in the process of time, had turned into a wolf. And then, uh, as Pastor Chuck also used to say, he says, when they leave, if they bite, they were never sheep. So, and then being unwilling to submit to the leadership here, they've since gone off into uh, more unbiblical territory, the wacky conspiracy theories and end times craziness. Okay, craziness. All to no benefit. And uh, during that season, my mind frequently uh, came to this passage, came to this passage. And not so much because I desire people's obedience. I just want to serve and lead with joy. And uh, that's it. So all that to say, trouble in the church was not isolated to the first century, but it has haunted the church for the last 2,000 years, okay, for a long time. And sadly, if it's not the laity doing it, it's the leadership. Uh, realize every 
Almost every major heresy in the church, guess where it's come from? Our seminaries. Our seminaries. Some of the most grievous doctrines today are coming from theology professors in the, in the seminaries that we used to trust. It's amazing. So, so you got to watch out for us. Everybody needs to be held accountable. <laughs> so, yep, from the very beginning, there's been countless problems, division, false teaching, false teachers, God's people getting sucked into them. Paul said, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Worse and worse. People will rise, he said, from within the church and from without the church, not sparing the flock. Their, their hope is to devour. Okay? People will be led astray. Others will fall away. And Paul says their faith will be shipwrecked. So it's a problem. Yeah. And it bothers me deeply, especially when so much time has been spent teaching those people the word of God. So much time has been spent praying for them and trying to restore them. It's, it's, it's hard. It's grievous. But I must say, in spite of the challenges that we've faced here in the last 14 years, it'll be 14 years in September, you guys are patient people, man. Uh, I've loved pastoring here. I've loved pastoring here. So it's been a great joy to me and my family. Uh, if it wasn't for the, the wonderful people of this fellowship, um, I would have pleaded God to leave this dark and gloomy region of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I've actually pleaded with all of you to leave with me. <laughs> but some of you like this place. And, um, so, anyway, we're staying, whether you like it or not. So, let's get back to our text. In verse 7, uh, the author pointed his, his audience back to those who had first taught them, which of course has an allusion to chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, regarding those foundational truths of the faith passed down from the apostles, accompanied by signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, all of this stuff was confirmed to you. All of this stuff was delivered to you. There was no refuting it. It was there. It was, it was complete. It, it was sufficient to lead you along a straight path. Well, it's interesting, in the book of Jude, uh, not surprising, he too was dealing with heretics and false teachers and creepy people. And he said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude 1 Three. He's saying the church had a common salvation, a, a common faith. That is, they had the same faith. They believed the same thing. Okay, it was a common faith that was passed down to the church from the apostles. It was delivered. And what they passed on to the church was sufficient. And he says it was once for all time. It was once for all time. The necessary doctrines for all that we should believe and, and how we ought to behave, the ethic of Christ, uh, it was complete. And so the false teaching that this church faced, that grace could be conveyed by eating, 
was impossible. It wasn't taught by the apostles, and so it could not have come from God. It could not have, okay? So these Hebrew Christians have stepped away from what was received, and they were duped by these false teachers. If they had only remembered the faith, if they had only obeyed their current leaders who were pointing them to the teaching of the apostles, they could have avoided the trouble. Okay? They could have avoided it. And that brings us to the responsibility of the pastor and elders. Yes, it, it is for the laity to obey the instruction of the leaders uh, as far as they are instructing you from the word. Can we agree on that? Okay. But then in here is instruction or at least a description of uh, what God has ordained in regarding to the leadership. Listen to what Paul said to the Ephesians. He says, Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Uh, That should uh, be understood according to a Greek grammar of rule, pastors slash teachers. It's one office. He says, it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. And here it is. So that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about, same language as Hebrews 13, with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. Sounds nefarious, doesn't it? It's because it is. It's because it is. False teachers want to lead astray. Satan goes about trying to find who he can devour. All right? It is nefarious. But here, uh, just as an outline, God ordained and provided leadership, he says, for the equipping of God's people, for the edification of God's people. He says, the unity of God's people, the instruction of God's people, and then he says, for the protection of God's people, for the protection. The last uh, of which is what the author of Hebrews is referring to. He's saying it's the duty of the leadership to watch out for the souls of the congregation, to watch out for them by teaching the scriptures, by warding off false teaching and teachers. Um, Since I've been at Calvary Chapel, I've actually never told anyone they had to leave the church that was a part of the church. They just leave, you know, when they've been confronted and warned and things like that. But I have met people at the door uh, that have said that, you know, they have a a, a title of something. Uh, They're a messenger or whatever, and they've come to Calvary Chapel because um, they need to deliver the church from this or that false thinking or whatever. And then in talking to them, I realize that they're a raging heretic. And I've told those people, uh, you're not welcome here. Uh, Maybe you can come sit down, but if you say a word in this line of reasoning, you will be asked to leave immediately. uh, But because they are so special, they just turn around and leave. They won't be told anything like that. Uh, So when it comes, as Paul says here, their job is to protect 
uh, to ward off, I have warded off uh, a number of people, whether it's just before service, just after service, or they've come and visited me during the week. And I, I don't know, maybe 15 people in the last 14 years. Seems like I get one just about annually. Uh, I wish I could put it on my calendar, but uh, it just doesn't work that way. Paul told the elders in Ephesus, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, uh, 28. Peter instructed a different group of, of elders in the same way. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock, 1 Peter 5, 2. Those are good passages to um, set a standard for spiritual leadership, by the way, and a standard by which you can hold myself and any of my elders uh, to. Okay? Amen? All right. Uh, in both passages, the word shepherd and flock appear. They actually uh, come from the same uh, root, uh, one refers to those who are watched over and the other to those who watch over them. Pastor and pastored, I guess we could say. Um, the word translated as shepherd uh, here is a verb, and it's where we get our word pastor, poimen, pastor. Uh, the same Greek word is translated as a noun in Ephesians 4 uh, to, to distinguish it there as an office, a calling. And so the pastor is a shepherd who shepherds, feeds, tends, and protects the flock. If he does not do those things, uh, he is probably more of what Jesus calls a hireling. Okay? When trouble comes, he flees because he does not love the sheep. Um, so that's what he's supposed to do is to remain and defend. And so pastors and elders, they watch out for the people. They teach the word of God. They protect both doctrine and people because too much is at stake. The author says, the soul is at stake. Okay, God has appointed it this way. Paul told the Romans uh, and Timothy and Titus to teach against heresy, which we said is false teaching, and to point out heretics. Not just talk about heresy, but he says, I want you to note the heretics. I want you to point them out. Uh, Paul said that confronting heretics, not just heresy, but heretics themselves. He says that is one of the primary roles of an elder. That's Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. You know, people often say to me, Pastor Ben, I wish you wouldn't talk about other religious groups or religious teachers. Can't you just teach the scriptures? And other people have told me I have no business talking about false teachers from the pulpit. Others have left the church because I have talked about false teachers and false religious groups. And, you know, I understand the sentiment. Uh, we don't want to hurt people's feelings, but my job is to protect something that's far more important than feelings. Okay, my, my job is to protect souls by upholding the truth of God's word. And, you know, and I realize that uh, these people, uh, they don't really know what they're saying to me. They would never knowingly uh, ask me to disobey the scriptures. Okay. They wouldn't do that if, if they knew. And the thing is, if I honored their wishes, 
the Bible is saying that God's people would even be more vulnerable. Okay? More vulnerable. Yeah. Paul commanded that false teachers be pointed out to the church. And then he says, once that false teacher has been pointed out, the church is to stay away from them. That's Romans chapter 16, verse 17. And uh, I can't look out for the souls of people if I don't warn them both about the teacher and the false teaching. You get it? This is my job. Okay. The apostles frequently gave names of heretics. Frequently. I'll just give you a couple. Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus, Demas, Diotrephes. Bad men. Okay. Uh, two of those men were accused of overthrowing the faith of some. They were denying the resurrection. Okay. Crazy stuff. Just, just some of the heretics. And the church was to stay away from them. And if they were around, the elders were to refute them. Paul says their mouths must be stopped. No, I don't think he means throw an elbow. Um, but they need to be refuted. So try not to be offended if I provide the names of a false teacher and then I call what they're saying as a heresy. Okay? It's my responsibility to do that. I'm going to keep doing it. And when I point them out, I hope that the people under my care will avoid them. I'll tell you something that has bothered me in the past is when I've pointed a heretic out, they sympathize with the heretic. It's not me they're disobeying, understand. They're disobeying the scriptures. Heretics are supposed to be noted and avoided. Noted and avoided. They're dangerous people, and until they're willing to repent, they have no business being around the people of God. No business. So try not to be offended when I, when I address them. Uh, yeah. Other than that being my responsibility, the elder's responsibility, the author reminds the congregation that not only do they, the leaders watch out for their souls, but he says they must give an account. They must give an account. Okay? Now, and as accountable as we are to you guys, uh, the author is not talking about us giving an account to you. Okay? Uh, he's talking about the leadership ultimately answering to God for how they led, nurtured, and protected his people. That's what he's talking about. You know, I have enough anxiety just standing here before the flock as every one of you are evaluating everything I say about the word. Okay? It, it's, it's, it just it drives me nuts. But I'm willing to endure that because... I don't fear you as much as I fear the Lord, to be honest. Okay, And uh, yeah, the elders and I are certainly accountable to you, but we're ultimately going to answer to Christ. He's the chief shepherd. Okay, He's going to judge us. And as James says, the teachers will be judged more harshly. So because of that, we strive to teach the scriptures with precision. If you know me uh, very well, I hate being wrong. Uh, it's probably a good thing as a Bible teacher. Okay, I don't like to be wrong about the text. Uh, we're going to continue to oppose heresy, every heretic that threatens the spiritual health of the church. And as Titus was instructed, the elders will exhort and they will rebuke with all authority. Okay? And as Paul told Titus, let no one despise you. Okay? We're not going to be despised for doing our job. Okay? Yeah. Uh, now, I, uh, as far as the, the leadership of this church goes, uh, they love Christ, they love his word, and they love all of you. 
They do, deeply. And uh, we pray for you guys. We're concerned for you guys. And uh, so if that's uh, something we refuse to do ever, then the reality is, as we say at Calvary Chapel, you vote with your feet. You go down the street, okay? You find a church, you find a leadership that loves people, loves the word of God, and uh, is going to stick to their responsibilities. If we don't do that here, you should leave. That is, if we refuse to do that, you should leave. Okay. I should go bankrupt as a pastor. So, yep, trustworthy leadership, it's important. Let's move on. Uh, I want to wrap up this little section. In verse 18 and 19, he says, Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that is, pray, that I may be restored to you the sooner. So the author is now, he's leaving the body of of the letter where he's been providing instruction about what they were doing wrong, what they ought to be doing. And he's asking for prayer, prayer for himself. Two prayer requests. Uh, One is regarding the reputation of him and his companions, whoever they are, okay? And also that he would be restored to them. Real quick on the first one. Uh, Apparently, uh, as leaders, their motives, uh, their character was being held in question. Okay, being held in question. Uh, But they believed, without any conflict in their conscience, that they had conducted themselves honorably in what they were doing. They they had done the right thing in the right way. But there were some who were apparently critical of their motives. It's not always easy being a leader. Okay, questioning motives, questioning character. The best of intentions, the best of actions can be judged inaccurately. As we look at the New Testament, you know, Paul was um, accused by the, those in Galatia of avoiding certain topics so that he could avoid being persecuted. But the reason that the apostles were persecuted was for preaching Christ. And that's something Paul never, never strayed away from. Okay. But they were just trying to make him look bad. And, uh, He was accused by some in Corinth of only being interested in money, even though he had never taken or received any compensation from them. But he was accused of that. Others accused him of being a coward in person, but being bold in his letters, like people are on Facebook. They challenged his apostolic authority uh, because John the Baptist so vehemently opposed the Pharisees, they said he was demon-possessed. They said Jesus was demon-possessed. They, they accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard simply because when he stopped in a town, people had him over for dinner. Yeah. He was accused of being a deceiver. Yeah, leadership, it comes with all kinds of fun stuff. Um, my favorite one was I was accused once of becoming a pastor because as a Mormon, I couldn't be paid to teach the scriptures. Yeah. So I'm somehow secretly Mormon in my theology, but I covered up so I can get paid. So why then do I teach that Mormonism is a damnable heresy? Was that, was that too King James for you? <laughs> According to Mormon theology, if a Mormon leaves the Mormon church and then preaches against it, they will go to outer darkness. It's all making sense now. I've been accused of being an, an authoritarian an authoritarian, that I, I really like to throw my weight around and, and make everybody know that I'm in charge, apparently because of my military background. Okay. 
I'll let you guys decide if I'm bossy or not. Um, anyway, the author here doesn't say for what, but the integrity of his team. Integrity of his team was being challenged, and it was, it was upsetting to him, and they wanted prayer. Then he moves on from that, and he says, especially, or, or more importantly, he says, just, just pray because I want to be restored to you. And this is interesting because his prayer request to be with them, we have to understand the context. He's saying that he wants to be with a church that is persecuted. So by him being with them, what would that do? It would make him a target. It would make him a target. Okay? And he's the man who lacks character. That's very strange. It's interesting. Sounds to me like he's a good shepherd, but he wants to be with the flock to encourage them and to suffer with them. Okay, to suffer with them. I think what he should probably do is invite his critics to come suffer with him. Uh, but usually people like that are unwilling to participate. So, so from this, uh, just as a matter of application, pray for your leadership. Uh, they get to be the target of all kinds of nonsense for the sake of the body. And uh, it used to really bug me when I was young in the ministry. Uh, and now it only bugs me when they're right, as it should, as it should. But uh, pray we don't get discouraged. Pray for God's protection and God's wisdom. And uh, I think as the body is concerned for itself and love, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, we will weather all kinds of storms. Amen? All kinds of storms. So... Well, next week, uh, we'll look at Paul's benediction. It's my favorite benediction in all of the scriptures. Uh, and we, we might finish the book next week. Uh, we'll see what happens. Now, before I pray, uh, the elders and I would like to make ourselves available to anyone who needs prayer. And so after the, uh, the last song, uh, we'll be up here to, uh, to pray with people. All right? So let me pray now, and then um, we'll have the worship team come up, I think. All right, let's pray. Please stand with me if you would. Well, Lord, I thank you for your word. And uh, even when it's a bit awkward uh, to talk about uh, or talk to the people that it should, should obey my authority. <laughs> it's so strange. But Lord, the point is, is that leadership should be trustworthy. Leadership should uh, be, be fitting for what they're called to. Uh, they should love people. They should have a stout enough heart to defend people. And they should have the, the strong conviction that more than anything else, the truth of God's word should be taught and followed. And uh, so, Lord, I pray for the leadership of Calvary Chapel that, that we would stand firm, Lord, and that we would be worthy of being followed in the ministry, that we would be men of integrity, that we'd be men of love, men of doctrine. And, uh, yeah. And, Lord, I pray that our church, that together we would remain humble enough, Lord, that as we receive the teaching of the word, that we would understand that it's from you and uh, that we should follow it, Lord, for our own good 
and for the glory of God. And so, Lord, make us useful for your glory. And, Lord, I thank you for my church family. And I thank you that we're more and more back together. And I just pray that our time would be sweet and beneficial, Lord, and well-pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.